Hey everybody, you're listening to the 31st episode of History Baseball Podcast, HBP, where we talk about baseball, drinks, and everything else under the sun. I'm DeCarlo Calloway alongside Dorian, and on today's podcast, we remind you that if it ain't first, you last. Tune into Musty TV in Southern California. Determine whether the choice is yours. Duel to a draw in Yankee Stadium. Ask, is something still rotten in the state of Flushing? and burn sage to get rid of evil spirits in Atlanta. So, of course, we start off every episode by showcasing what it is that we're drinking while we're recording this beautiful podcast. So I am currently drinking a prairie organic gin with mandarin orange seltzer because it's a nice, beautiful day here in New York City. And with the nice sun and the air and the allergies flowing all over the place, it seems like a nice, refreshing drink with gin and seltzer um suits suits me perfectly what about you doria what's going on and what are you drinking this uh, evening uh, hello my good friend i i, I started laughing here talking about the allergies because i'm i'm popping claritin and what's the other one a zyrtec like like candy that's terrible all of this allergies is killing me anyways uh that that does sound like a beautiful early late spring early summer drink the the, the gin and orange seltzer actually Kind of wish I was having that right now, but this is a first for me, DeCarlo. I'm drinking not the same, not something that I've already drank before, but I'm drinking a beer from a previous brewing company that I'd already gotten a beer from. I have a beer. It's called the Cabarrus Cotton Blondale from Cabarrus Brewing Company in Concord, North Carolina. The last time we talked about this uh, Cabarrus Brewing Company was talking about the Seeger brothers, from the, the baseball players for the Dodgers and the, and the Mariners. This time around, I'm going to share with you the NASCAR, which we never talk about. <laughs> I mean, whatever, because we're not fans. But nevertheless, the Charlotte Motor Speedway is actually held in Concord. Even though it's called Charlotte, it's actually held in Concord, North Carolina. It's this, this NASCAR race is held annually on Memorial Day weekend, and they've also had uh, they've filmed movies there. Some of them have been Speedway with Elvis Presley and Nancy Sinatra. Days of Thunder was also filmed there with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. This is, I love this. I love this title. Stroker Ace was also filmed at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, that's with the main man, the man, the man, a man among, among men, Burt Reynolds and Lonnie Anderson. And lastly, one of our one of uh, one of the funniest movies that has come out in the past five or ten years, Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby, with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, and Sasha Bear, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who plays that uh, French Formula One driver who ended up who ends up making out with was it, did he end up making out with Ricky Bobby? I'm pretty sure he did. And of course, Ricky Bobby's famous for saying, "If you ain't first, you're last." Shake and bake. <laughs> so. There's definitely a couple's theme when, fit, when movies are filmed at the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina. And I'm going to have a drink because it's getting warmer everywhere. And if you like drinking out in the park, if you like drinking on your porch, if you like drinking on your balcony, tweet us a picture. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. Use the hashtag HBPDrink and send us a picture of whatever it is that you're enjoying this summer. What I'm enjoying this summer is some must-watch TV 
in my mind, I hear the, the old NBC xylophone. Dun, 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 dun. No, that, that, that doesn't how it, that, that's not how it goes. Whatever, how the old it's NBC. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you. Dun, 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 dun. Must see TV. If you guys remember that all the way back in the 90s, it was Seinfeld at 9.30, I think it was. I don't yeah. remember. Boom, boom. Frazier on. Green eggs and ham. And then uh, Friends. I'll be there for you. The worst show ever. Anyways, all of these were must-see TV. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I cannot stand that show. Anyways, so all this was must-see TV filmed in Southern California, basically in NBC thinks in Burbank, isn't it? I don't remember. Somewhere in LA. It's Burbank. That was their main studio. Well, their studio stage. That's where they taped the Tonight Show. Hmm. But this... My dear friend, this summer, must-see TV is not in Burbank. It's actually in, uh, I'm about to say Chico, in um, Dodger Stadium. The uh, It's just, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the neighborhood. I've been there before. Anyways, Dodger Stadium in LA, in, San, in Petco Park, Petco Field, wherever the Padres play. Must-see TV in Major League Baseball is the San Diego Padres and Los Angeles Dodgers rivalry that we're having right now. A lot of people always complain you know what? I, I, I like going to a baseball game, but I can't follow because the season's too long. The games don't matter in April. Wrong. Wrong, my friend, because right now what we're witnessing between the Padres and the Dodgers is World Series caliber competition in Southern California. This really is must-see TV. The Padres and the Braves, the Braves. <laughs> I already got something else on my mind. The Padres and the Dodgers ended up playing four games last week. They're for, uh, between Thursday and Sunday, on the 22nd of April, the Padres won 3-2. to two. The Dodgers hit into an inning-ending double play in the bottom of the eighth with the bases loaded. And it and it and what saved the Padres was an incredible play by the shortstop, Jake Cronenworth. And that started the double play, and that ended the Dodgers' hopes for a win. The very next night, the Padres won again six runs to one. They were led by... The, the Padres were led by the Dominican supernova star shortstop, Fernando Tatis Jr. He hit two home runs off a of future Hall of Fame Dodger pitcher, Clayton Kershaw, and he drove in three runs. On top of that, the Padres also had a tremendous pitching outing, outing by the uh, by ex-Dodger, Yu Darvish, the Japanese pitcher. He was awesome. He pitched seven innings. He only gave up four hits and struck out nine Dodgers. I think it was a nice little... Payback as well, because, you know, Darvish was with uh, the Dodgers for, I think, that one season back in 2017 when they lost, when he, he played really bad. But, of course, that was the whole, the Astros, their uh, Sesame Street bashing, <laughs> bashing trash cans issues mm. back in 2017. Okay. Yeah, and the game just kept getting better because then the following night, on the 24th of April, the Dodgers won 5-4. to four. Stop me if you heard this, Carlos. Tatis Jr. hit a home run on the second pitch off of your boy, Trevor Bauer. Last year's uh, Cy Young winner. Trevor Bauer talks a lot of smack. That he does. But you know what I have to say? Tatis, yeah, he's what, he five out of his last 11 at bats. He hit home runs against the Dodgers. And, you know, his reaction. Hmm? 
He's on fire. Yeah, he's, he's completely killing it. But it also just, like, it, it helps feed this rivalry. You know, prior to the start of this season, we already suspected that this was going to be the next big rivalry in baseball. And they're showing up for it. I mean, this this series really demonstrated that the NL West is the division to watch now. It's no longer the AL East at this point. You know, you, you don't have that. And you have two teams with star players star power and they're just going to bring it. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what their encounters look like throughout the rest of the season, because if this is, uh, you know, a foreshadow for what, for things to come, I'm looking forward to watching more. Yeah. They, they, this, they are, they're playing at a different level. They, this is, if you like sports, if you like competition, you need to be watching the Dodgers and the Padres play because Trevor Bauer, he talks a lot of smack, but, He's willing to take it as well. And when Tatis Jr. hit that home run off of, off of the second pitch of the game, he rounded the bases and he looked back to the dugout and he covered one of his eyes because Bauer, back in spring training, he threw a pitch against Tatis Jr. with one eye closed. It's just, you know, people were like, oh, Bauer's a clown. Like, why are you going to be pitching with one eye closed? But he did it. I think he ended up striking out Tatis Jr. And believe me, Tatis Jr. remember that. And he did. And he just did the same thing. <laughs> So hats off to him. So again, the Dodgers won that third game, but at the but one of the issues was a was a mental error by former Tampa Bay Ray left-handed pitcher Blake Snell in the bottom of the fourth inning. He let a ball that was going to roll foul. He picked it up. The Dodgers scored a run on that play, and the and the the batter was safe on first base. Manny Machado, the third baseman for the for the for the Manny Machado, the third baseman for the Padres. He was going crazy. He just he just jumped up and stamped down. Like you can tell his frustration because that's how important these games are in April. People, the baseball season's from April to April to September. He knows how important these games are because the Dodgers and the Padres, they both want to win the division. They do not want to be the wild card team. It's crazy. What both of these teams are going to win hundred games. One of them is going to be a wild card team. Absolutely insane. But uh Tatis Jr. then hit his second home run of that same game in the top of the sixth. Uh, he was just, he's just playing out of his mind. And finally on Sunday, on the 25th of April, the Padres won eight to seven in extra innings in 11 games. Who homered? $500 for who guess who homered in that game? Tatis Jr. <laughs> he, he had five home runs against the Dodgers, the best team in baseball. And and the Padres came back from a seven to one deficit in the seventh inning. That's late in the game to be yeah. stringing together that many runs. But again, that's the quality of this Padres team. Yeah, they got they got staying power. You, know, you have all these stars. Oh, and then uh, going back to the game on the twenty fourth, Trevor Bauer. I think when he struck out, I want to say he struck out Machado in one inning. And he, I don't know if you saw this, DiCarlo, but he did like a, a sword thrust. No, mm. not like a pit. Not. Like a sword not, not going a, into his scabbard yeah, type of yeah, yeah, not a pelvic thrust, you perverts. A sword thrust, <laughs> exactly, to Carla. Like that, it, it's like you know what? Okay, like you, you can take it if someone homers off of you, and you can try to show someone up. It's like it's it's good that baseball's some baseball players are encouraging like having fun, and you know, Tatis Junior. He has uh, blonde dreads. I mean, he's not naturally blonde, but <laughs> he dyes his hair blonde he puts him in dreads people are demonstrative 
and it's just quality stuff. And I cannot wait to watch these guys again. I highly, highly recommend that, that it, when the Dodgers play the, the Padres, people watch that series. They've already played seven games, seven times this, this season. The Padres lead four to three. So it's almost tied up. And, but they don't play again until June. And it's just very exciting stuff. Watch great competition, watch great baseball, and watch fun young men who are tremendous at what they do. But there's also a couple of other teams who also try to find young men who become tremendous, because, but they don't find it that way yet. You know, finding players like that doesn't necessarily come out of the thin blue sky. And a lot of the time you have to take many different considerations into doing that. And two teams apparently that everyone else is copying, but evaluating, evaluating prospects currently are who do you, who do you think, which teams do you think actually do this story? Your guess, which two oh, teams? I would say the, the teams that always have great analytics. I, I, I would say, the Oakland Athletics, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, the Cleveland Indians, and the uh, L.A. Dodgers. Okay. Do so tremendous player development. Well, you two out of the four that you mentioned are the ones that Major League Baseball currently is looking at in terms of mimicking, evaluating so, their prospects. My friend, you know what? I want to add something. Mm-hmm. Two of the people that you're going to say, they're also the cheapest owners in baseball. But go yes. on. <laughs> yes. You have the Cleveland Indians for the pitcher model. And the Tampa Bay Rays for the hitter model. So we'll start. This was actually, um, I'm taking this from an article that was on ESPN Plus. And they were looking at the Indian models for pitchers. So they look at it like they draft. So initially they've had impressive big like hits with their draft pitchers. So Shane Bieber, um, Aaron Clavel, uh, Zach Plesak, and James Karinchak. Um these guys have been relatively successful, and they came up in the um, you know, decent round, like 100s, like what, clue, what was it? Bieber was 122nd overall in 2016. So playing within, like, the relatively, like, not that's too like, bad, not too, like. That's like uh, like third and fourth rounds in yeah. the major, major league baseball draft. Mm-hmm. So they said the idea was twofold. So, quote, first, athleticism didn't perfectly map to command, but you know what does? Command. And secondly, it helps to be traditionally uh, projectable young athlete, but but that market was already established and priced correctly. So Cleveland aimed to lean into the data, which, of course, we started to first see that back with Moneyball and Sabermetrics and all of these things. Um, So, but... They've consistently been using data to help improve their pitching staff. So the tech helps them more objectively measure how good a pitch, what pitcher was helped make physical projections less important in improving raw stuff. The most fundamental building block to a successful pitcher. This drink is hitting me pretty hard right now. So <laughs> the architect type ended up being a college pitcher with decent, mostly average raw stuff who just threw a lot of strikes. So they have command. Um, no, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question because uh, you, you named a couple of the pitchers before uh, Shane Bieber, James Karinichak, uh, Zach Plesic. What about your boy, current New York Yankee, former Cleveland Indian pitcher? Why is everybody my boy, man? I just... Because because Corey Kluber plays for your New York Yankees and uh, Trevor Bauer is also your boy because you thought 
you put, you I remember last year you correctly predicted with Miss Cleo that uh, you win the Cy Young. Trevor Bowers win the Cy Young. Yeah, it, yeah, it, that was because he was the best pitcher in the league. That's not too hard to figure out. That's your boy, boy, get out of here, boy. Anyway, so so tell me, so what happened to Corey Kluber? Because I know they drafted him. So so did, he did might this... be one as well, but I think okay. he wouldn't be counted because of the injuries and how long that's kept him out. For. Right. So, I mean, prior to his injury, he would probably, like, if he was still pitching, you know, negate that, he might have been included in that list. But they're just, I think, and he's not only, he's not on Cleveland anymore. So that might have been taken into consideration. I want to, I also, I want to, my friend, I want to give a shout out to a, 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 a pitcher that will be on this list in a, in a few years, Logan Allen. He is a rookie, he's a rookie or second year pitcher for the Cleveland Indians. He was drafted in the second round of the 2020 Major League Baseball draft. Um, and he pitched uh, at uh, at Florida International University, the, their college baseball team, and he's he was tremendous, and he's actually pretty good. So I'm very very confident that Logan Allen will be in this list in a year or two. Mm-hmm. So their archetype ended up being a college pitcher with decent, mostly average raw stuff, who threw a lot of strikes and otherwise seen as a potential back end starter or middle reliever. So by that. You, you knock off a lot of people kind of looking in that area because, you know, how many top-tier teams are looking towards a middle reliever or yeah, back-end starter when they're drafting somebody to, to really build out? But not these, thinking like, oh, these people have command. So maybe if they have command and just, you know, potentially on average raw stuff, as long as it's improvable, the command is what it is that they have. So that's going to dominate for them later on in the future. Yeah, a lot of these teams are looking for the stud pitcher, like the Steven Strasburg, Noah Syndergaard, like those guys who come out, uh, Forrest Whitaker, those guys that come out who are high. Really? The guy, last king of Scotland? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's Forrest. Oh, Forrest Forrest Whitley, Forrest Whitaker. Oh, I'm like Forrest Forrest Whitaker won an Oscar, so I'm sure he could also throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. (laughs) <laughs> Even though he's not, uh, you know, Forrest, it's not, it's Forrest Whitley. My goodness, what's wrong with me? It's, uh, maybe that beer is hitting he you. He used to be, yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's all, it's not just the beer, it's also the fumes of the NASCAR cars rushing by that are getting to me. No, but yeah, no. Forrest Whitley, he's a pitcher for the Houston Astros and he came out highly regarded in the draft. So, anyways, I'm sorry to Carlo, go on. Mm-hmm. So, it, it worked for them because this is, like I was saying, it had no enthusiasm in the industry. So it's like teams started drafting them when they ran out of players they like. So it's kind of like the middle of the road. It's, 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 if you look at it almost like if you've seen A Beautiful Mind, right? Actually, I didn't see it. No, but okay. I know that's uh, the Aussie. What's his name? The guy who. Russell Crowe. Yeah, the, the South Park episode where Russell Crowe goes around fighting everybody. Fighting everybody, in a yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so there was this one part in the movie and he was talking about um, probabilities of, of a guy to get laid in a bar. And he was, um, had the women who were there and he was like, you know, five out of seven of the guys, something like this, I'm just paraphrasing. Most of the guys are going to go for the blonde haired woman because that's who they see as most attractive, mm-hmm. you know, like the prized possession. Whereas her girlfriend, who's probably brunette, just as cute, maybe not as much, but it's going to be a little bit more inclined to because she doesn't get that much attention. And so the smart, especially if you're like looking to kind of be successful, you would go with the woman who's not getting as much. You go to her friend successful. because she's the unexpected one. 
So in terms of, say, if you want to play your margins at the end of the night, that's what you would do. This is just an example. Anyway, so that's kind of what it is that they do in this sense. It's like, oh, you know, everybody else is going for this. Let's go for these guys because we can give them the right nurture, nourishment, and they're going to give us what we want because they know how to command the strike zone. They have enough potential where they, we could develop maybe another pitch or two to help them really flourish into a solid starter. So kudos to them. And now it's, you know, the, the secret is out. So everybody else is trying to duplicate it. So just like everything else, it will get saturated and then it will change up again. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what people come to listen to HBP for advice. We, we, we should do it. We should do another <laughs> podcast called HBP after dark <laughs> about, that sounds uh, like a bad porno. <laughs> Sorry, the no. HBP, the HBP love line, where we DiCarlo tell you not not DeCarlo approved. I'm sorry, we got to move forward on that. Well, I'm just brainstorming with you. So, okay. anyways, yes, success, people, go be successful in business and baseball, developing pitchers and your nights out at the bar. Mm-hmm. So now the race, their model for hitters is the one that is being looked upon. So. They've been known to have a very good, like, farm system. The Rays, even when they came up, they had a lot of good, like, players coming through the ranks, even as an expansion team. And they've been stacked with a lot of middle infield depth charts, at the like, middle infield. So their depth chart on the middle infield is off the charts. So you think they'd have trouble finding them, but they – don't think, you know, oh, middle infielder, most teams don't think can play shortstop and doesn't have much power, but they can hit. So you see, do you see there's almost like a common theme here where the Rays look at a command getting to the strike zone, where the Rays are looking, oh, they might not have power, but they make contact. So if you think about it, most middle infielders are smaller than the average prospects, shorter arms, shorter levers equate to less raw power output, but also shorter paths to the ball, which makes contact easier. So if we go back to, say, like 1998 in baseball, what was going on back then? Mark McGuire was huge. Sammy Sosa was still black. (laughs) And and people were sticking needles in their butt cheeks. In the butt cheeks, exactly. Those two individuals specifically. And were hitting the long ball. So, of course, being as is May – the long pole powered baseball for another, say, 10, 15 years. And people were looking at trying to find powerful prospects and not really thinking about getting prospects who can just make contact. So it's hard to teach hitters how to hit when they can't hit well, but it's easy to teach a good hitter with little power to hit for more power. So that was their simple, basic logic. So you know what? You get somebody who has a shorter path to the ball He might not have the natural power, but you could build that power over time. And this this started to work out for them. And you also started to see this even like with the likes of Dustin Pedroia. Now you see Mookie Best, Jose Altuve. These are those players that are also backing up this, this theory that this works, where you have shorter infield body type, shorter path to the ball, and you can teach them the power. They could build the power over time. So... (laughs) I'm 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 really fascinated that you brought this up because as regular HBP listeners know, I'm I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan. They're my second team, obviously behind the Atlanta Braves. And when you say that, I start thinking of the Tampa Bay Rays infield 
guys like Joey Wentz, Brad Lowe, Mike Brousseau, and they all have the same body type. They, they're, they don't look alike, but they're all like 5'10", 6 feet, right around 200 pounds. And, I can, and they're really good hitters. Um, and even like Willie Adamas, who is the he's Dominican shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's an awesome defensive player, but he's not that good with a bat. But I love him. He's like the energy, the soul of that team. But this is that's really interesting. And it, when you're explaining this, I'm like, like a light bulb goes off. Like, of, of course they would do that. Like, of course, you know that someone in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, their job is to measure the length of like between the shoulder and the wrist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm just making this up. I have no idea. But it's like, I can definitely no, see them it, doing. No, it definitely is, though. You have to keep this in mind because sports is physics. And you need to know dimensions. You need to know pathways to the ball. You need to take all these things into consideration because you're playing percentages. And you also want to make sure that the investment that you're making on a player is going to be worth it. You know, so you're going to try to measure every single attribute, anything that you could find to ensure that their player is going to be is, is going to turn into the player that you want them to be. And it's a smart strategy. So if you bulk up on these type of players, you could also change, you know, the positions in which they play. They don't need to play the infield, but the body type is what it is that you want. So you could draft them from that and then be able to kind of breed them into the type of player that you want them to turn out to be. So very smart move. Yeah, absolutely. Those, I'm, t- I'm telling you, the Tampa Bay Rays front office and the Los Angeles Dodgers front office, those guys are at the cutting edge, at the bleeding edge, as our friend DiCarlo said. But, um, did I say and it, that? You said, did you say that? I mean, I just, maybe that, that made it up in my like, mind. Yeah, that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> All right, well, whatever, whatever he said, I'm just putting words. I'm joking. But it's, wow. it's, 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 it's incredible that these teams can almost peer into the future. Because who else can peer into the future, the problem? Oh, wait, hold on. I have to find her. Give me one second. We have she's, to find her she's, because she's, 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 she's been slumbering. The... She's because our lady, Miss Cleo, she's giving advice to other people. She's a busy woman. She has to find time for HPP. To show you the way. Call me now for your free reading. See? <laughs> Thank you, Miss Cleo, for coming in with your magic ape. I keep saying magic ape ball. With your crystal ball. Well, it's a tarot cards, man. And her tarot cards and uh, her awesome Brooklynese Jamaican accent. Totally, it's not even like it's not even Flatbush like at, like Flatbush Brooklyn. Jamaican. So we're revisiting a time, uh, two episodes ago, really, with where we made a prediction when my Atlanta Braves were playing the New York Yankees, which is the Carlos team. We uh, the Braves and the, and the Yankees played uh, just two games, a mini series, uh, back on the twentieth and the twenty first of April, midweek game. We both predicted that it was going to end up 1-1. And or the NBC xylophone. What's the NBC xylophone again? We were both correct. So Miss Miss Cleo is happy with both of us. We're happy with Miss Cleo because she fits HBP into her busy, busy schedule of scamming people. I'm joking. Of, of you know, giving people relationship advice, how to pick up men and women at bars, etc. <laughs> So I'm going to give you a quick recap of that quick mini-series. It ended up the Braves won one game, the Yankees won one game. The first game, the Yankees won 3-1. to one, And one of my boys, Yankee Slayer, right, the Braves right-handed pitcher Charlie Morton pitched awesome. He went six innings. He only gave up three hits, only one run, and struck out six Yankees. And that win 
the Yankees have not been good this year at all. They, that win snapped the Yankees five, not one, not two, not three, not four, five-game losing streak. Unfortunately, the Braves had a chance. No, unfortunately, the Braves had a chance. Unfortunately, they didn't win. They left the bases loaded in the seventh inning, and they only had one out. So they didn't take advantage, and uh, the Yankees did, so they won. In the second game, the Braves won 4-1, to one, and the Braves' young right-handed stud, Ian Anderson, pitched even better than Charlie Morton. He went six and two-thirds innings, only gave up four runs. I'm sorry. He gave up four hits, zero runs. He gave up four walks, and he struck out four. So hat tip to both you and I, DiCarlo, for correctly predicting, along with our good friend, Miss Cleo, that the uh, – that our teams are going to split. So, you know, may, maybe they'll, they'll come across each other in the world series, but that will be a good That's problem. highly unlikely, but you know, <laughs> you know what? Not with that attitude, my friend, no, that I would mean, be one of those no, good it's problems. Realist. It's, it's called it's being April. realistic. My friend yeah, is April. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, the baseball season lasts 7,514 games. So we have a long way to go. So Jesus Christ, when you say it like that, it seems so daunting. <laughs> <laughs> All of this talk about baseball, about sweating and, and, and developing players and these tremendous games in South, Southern California. Ultimately, you have to feed the body. You get hungry. You need fuel for your athletic muscles. Where do we, where, what do we do about that, my friend? Yeah, we go to Vito's Pizza, all right? You know, because Vito's Pizza is made with the freshest ingredients and mama's sauce that tastes like a foot because you know why? Because a foot made the sauce. It squished the, it squished the tomatoes. So you want to make sure you get good pizza Go to Vito's Pizzeria. Vito's. It tastes like Vito. a foot. <laughs> Vito's, our show sponsor this week. Vito, can you please tell people where they can find Vito's Pizzeria? Any place where there's pizza sold in any city in America. <laughs> All right, we'll go, we'll, we'll go with Queens for the moment. So, I, I, they're expanding. They're going to rival Little Caesar no, soon seriously, enough. No, seriously, like anywhere there's probably a Vito, there's a Vito's Pizza in every city where there's ever like been an, an Italian, like, American presence. It's just, mm. it's one of those typical, like, prototypical yeah. names that people then will, somebody who lived in New right. York then says, you know what? I'm going to move to Vermont. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open a pizzeria. And call Vito's. It Vito's New York style. It always yes. has to be New York yes. style. Or pizzeria. Brooklyn style. I, don't God, know, I didn't know Brooklyn had a style of pizza. but okay. You know, God forbid anyone ever says Bronx style pizza or Queen style pizza. It's always New York pizza yeah. or yeah you're right or brooklyn but anyways yeah, we want to thank we want to thank vito's pizzeria because they're uh, they're the official sponsor this week of hvp they they, get, they, kick, they keep us fed when we go out and play uh, in our uh, local softball league it's amazing or when we're, when we're, when we're watching must see tv the padres and the dodgers or the braves and the yankees unfortunately our next segment is going way back to our good friend william shakespeare Quoting, is there still something, is there something still rotten in the state of Flushing, which is obviously a neighborhood in Queens, New York, because Vito's Pizzeria is everywhere. And unfortunately, harassment is in too many places, almost everywhere in America. We went over this back in episode 21. This segment, unsolicited advice, is for the New York Mets, specifically for Uncle Steve, the still new owner of the New York Mets. My, my unsolicited advice to Uncle Steve is, sir, fire team president 
Sandy Alderson, and take a broom to the entire New York Mets front staff that stayed that stay their holdovers from the Wilpons reign of errors. It's horrible. First off, this is a feel-good story. It started off as a feel-good story with Uncle Steve, a boyhood Mets fan, you know, rags to riches. He's a billionaire now. He just he bought the team back in November of 2020. He signed super duper Puerto Rican shortstop Francisco Lindor to a massive contract, 10 years, $341 million. Flushing Queens is going crazy. Brooklyn's going crazy for Uncle Steve and the New York Mets. But what it came, what has come out over the past week or two are more sexual allegations against New York Mets front staff office that were holdovers from the Wilpons. The Wilpons were the former owners of the New York Mets, and they were terrible. This time, the allegations are against David Newman, who's the chief marketing content and communication officer, who was rehired by Sandy Alderson, and former marketing staffer Joe DeVito. Joey DeVito, hey! <laughs> he sounds like a guy who would be at Vito's Pizzeria. <laughs> Maybe that's his cousin, because his last name's DeVito. And Vito's Pizzeria is like, hey, you want a pot? Make it two. Make it well done. So Joey, hey, how perfect of a name to be working. <laughs> Joe DeVito pay, play, uh, working for the New York Mets and Queens is perfect. But what's not perfect is his, his, his conduct with the opposite sex. He was known as uh, texting unsolicited things, suggestions to the uh to females on the staff of the New York Mets. And one of the texts that was, uh, that was uh, submitted for evidence read, quote, at least I'm not as creepy as Mickey, end quote. What Joe, the video, hey! what he meant with that was former New York manager, Mickey Calloway, who was also accused of sexual harassment. You know, originally when we went over this back in episode 21, I was like, you know, someone like Aubrey Welt Weschler, who was who is the director of the employee engagement, she uh, allegedly Weschler was the only person who knew about the previous allegations, but she didn't do anything about it. Actually, there was someone above her, also a female, who did nothing, and that person is Holly Lindvall. Lindvall, she's the senior vice president of human resources and diversity. She was allegedly aware of the complaints, the harassing language, all the actions, which included Jeff Wilpon, one of the owners, one of the former owners. She did nothing. I mean, uh, Lindvall, again, for these allegations, Heather, uh, Heather, Holly Lindvall sent an email to The Athletic. It's a online journal, uh, sports journal, sports journal. In the email, she said, quote, we have always had a strict policy prohibiting workplace harassment and discrimination and have thoroughly and objectively investigated any and all complaints that were brought to our attention, end quote. Yeah, right. And that sounds like a lawyer wrote that to Carlo. Because then it gets even worse. Team president Sandy Alderson followed up with the athletic and said, quote, let me try to make a point as strongly as I can, okay? Not every instance involving men, women in the workplace is a capital offense, okay? Every time something happens, it doesn't mean somebody has to be fired, end quote. 
I think in the case of the Mets that it does because it's, it's an endemic issue of sexual harassment of males at the New York Mets front office, males who are holdovers from the Wilpon era. Now, I'm not saying all of them, but too many of the people who, who are holdovers, uncle Steve, get rid of these people. Like, you don't, you have too good of a story. Too many people are rooting for you to succeed, to have these pebbles in your shoes. And, uh, Alderson also followed up by saying, quote, is there ever a statue of limitations on coverage of some of this stuff? End quote. DiCarlo, he, Alderson is acting as if it's like it's hurting him that all of these sexual ha- harassment issues against women are hurting him. Forget about the women. It's about it's about him. It's about him and his, his ego. It's very, very sad. Ultimately, this leads this adds to the former list of men who are are accused of sexual harassment under New York Mets front office, former general manager, Jared Porter. He actually was doing his sexual harassment, not in the, not in Flushing, but back in Chicago with the Chicago Cubs. And he was fired like four weeks after he got hired with the Mets. And all the list also includes, as I said before, former New York Mets manager, Mickey Calloway. He was known internally amongst the female staff as quote, um, male anatomy, Mick. And, uh, by by male anatomy, I mean the, the word that starts with D. Male anatomy, pick Mick. That's what he was known as. You can imagine what he was uh, sending to women. So anyways, last month in March, uh, Uncle Steve, he announced that um, a law firm had been hired to investigate the Mets work cl- workplace culture, focusing on sexual harassment, misconduct, and uh, discrimination issues. So uh, Uncle Steve, get rid of these people. Um, I... I think you have to keep in mind too that they have to do all of these back end internal stuff because you know these people wrongly, whatever the case may be. And I mean, it's bad. As we see, sexual harassment was endemic in this organization. And unfortunately, you know, Uncle Steve should have probably did maybe a better assessment of this before he purchased this to really. No, get- I mean, he wouldn't have known. No, yeah, yeah. But you know, one thing, whenever you do buy an organization, they do send their people to do internal like investigations and audits right. of what it is that they're purchasing. So I think this would have been something that should have been uh, looked upon considering the, the climate in which we're, we're living in now, where, where people are more aware of these things and the fact that you want to, you know, it's bad for business. It's bad for public relations. It's bad Absolutely. to show that it's an inclusive environment that people can feel, you know, secure. You know, it's just not, it's not good. And it's a bad look because this is something that consistently has been happening and, mm-hmm. and more and more continues to keep coming out. It's, it's almost like the Mets are in line with Governor Cuomo. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, you're, but, you're absolutely right. The, new, the governor of New York, of the state of New York. Yeah. So... I don't know. I mean, clearly there, un- unfortunately there, there is this issue and, um, you know, but yeah, hopefully they get their act together and, and get rid of all of these, uh, elements within their organization. And, you know, if they do it properly, then we'll see, but you know, whatever, moving on. HBP is rooting for uncle Steve to get there, get to get the Mets act together. So in our next segment, there's someone or some people who didn't get their act together in the grow a beard and go into hiding, a.k.a. the Federal Witness Protection Program. I'm nominating 
the entire Atlanta Braves lineup to go into hiding because that's exactly what they did. They didn't show up on the 25th of April. They had the Braves played a doubleheader against the Arizona Diamondbacks. In those two games, in those two games, the Atlanta Braves lineup, the batters had one hit, no runs. <laughs> in the first pitch of the first game, the star right fielder, the Venezuelan right fielder, Ronald Acuna Jr., was HBP. He repped us, hit by pitch. That was a bad omen because that was the only hit they were going to get that day. The only hit they had on that in the game one against the Arizona Diamondbacks was uh, uh, 2020 MVP first baseman Freddie Freeman. He had one hit. He had the only hit for the Braves at the bottom of the sixth inning, and that was it, my friends. They go from getting shut out in game one and having one hit to 30 minutes later starting game two on the 25th of April, and Arizona Diamondback left-handed pitcher Madison Bumgarner, no hits. The Atlanta Braves in in seven innings, according to the Major League Baseball rule rule book, seven innings does not qualify as a no hitter. That's some BS rule. The man no hit the Atlanta Braves. I'm a Braves fan. It's embarrassing. It's frustrating. The man no hit the Atlanta Braves. I don't care if it's not air quotes qualified. So that entire everybody from Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzy Albies. Austin Riley, everybody just it was just completely awful on the 25th of April. So I send them out to Alaska, and what happens? We never talk about we dear Harlow, we send a lot of people out into the federal witness protection program, but we never talk about what happens afterwards. It's like the the app, it's like when a movie ends and the credits roll and they have like, you know, oh, outtakes or whatever. <laughs> this is what it is. What's the aftermath of that? I'm gonna tell you. The very next day, on the 26th of April, Atlanta Braves shortstop, Dansby Swanson, he went out on the entire field at Truist Park, where the Atlanta Braves play, and the Braves clubhouse, and he was burning sage to have a cleansing. <laughs> it reminds me in Miami, they call it una limpieza, the cleaning of like the soul, the bad juju, the evil spirit. <laughs> Dansby Swanson, he said, quote, I pretty much walked every bit of the area you can find in this place I went into. It was fun, end quote. Dancy Swanson hit a home run the very next day against the Chicago Cubs. And the Braves ended up scoring four runs in the first inning. Eight total runs in the game, 10 hits, and they won against the Chicago Cubs. That's what you want from a team who is just no hit. The very next day they come out and they show off, they show out. And Swanson and his, his girlfriend is the, his girlfriend plays on the U.S. women's national soccer team, Mallory Pugh, Pug, Pugh, Pug, Mallory Pug. She's a uh, Pugh. Pugh. All right. So Mallory, let's call her Mallory. The, she works, she, she works. She plays for the U.S. women's national soccer team. Swanson and Dansby and Mallory, they also burned sage when they moved into their new house in the Atlanta area. I think it was last year. He said, quote, you feel like you need to cleanse the air a little bit, end quote. So tip of the hat to Dansby Swanson. Maybe he had a phone call with Miss Cleo to Carlo. I, I don't know, but whatever he did, it worked because they needed that. They needed to rid the spirits of the, the they, they needed to, the Braves needed to rid themselves of the no-hit evil spirits. Boom.
hey, whatever works, works. So, you know, exactly. Whatever. And after losing those two games embarrassingly against the Arizona Diamondbacks, they ended up winning the, the, the next two games against the Chicago Cubs. So tip at the tip of the hat to not even tip of the hat. It's like keep burning sage and anything else that you want to do. New, very new agey. Anyway, so if you need to burn sage to do a limpieza in your condo, in your apartment, in your home, do it. Tweet us a picture because your beautiful pets also keep away the evil spirits of the world. Tweet us a picture of your pets watching the Padres and the Dodgers, watching you do your crazy, not crazy, do your sage burning or just sleeping, which is what you know, our pets love to do. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. And remember to use the hashtag HBPETS. Now, before we wrap up to Carlo, I want to give a shout out to a new listener in Miami, Florida. It's worldwide. That's right, Mr. Worldwide. Back in the MIA in the 305, we have a new listener who's listened to the past three episodes. So we're we're growing. We're a growing podcast. We love it. We love all of our listeners from Brazil, in uh, Germany, in Brussels, in Canada, in Vietnam, in Vietnam. Because that's that's what we are, baby. HBP is Misters Worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> Expanding our tentacles to every reach of the globe. Anyway, once again, we want to thank you guys for listening. So make sure you please subscribe to the podcast and shoot us a review. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at HBP4040, and our drinks will be in the show notes. Make sure you join us next time for a brand new episode of HBP, Hipster Baseball Podcast. Peace out.